Your work technology should help your organization run better. Monday.com is an intuitive platform designed to help teams of all sizes work better together and maximize results. With Monday.com, you can easily customize your workflows to fit your team's exact needs and create automated updates to keep everyone up to speed in real time. Experience the power of a single platform that replaces your costly tech toolbox and the headache that comes with it. To start your 14-day free trial, go to Monday.com. What's up, y'all? I'm Amanda Seals, and listen, I get it. We're in some serious times, so I think some of y'all forgot I'm a comic. She had them jokes. I mean, you forgot I had a whole HBO comedy special. I be you forgot I showed love to how black women give compliments. Okay, polka dots. And some shade to how white women move in corporate America. Stop CCing all these unnecessary people on these goddamn emails. I get it. We've been cooped up for a long time. That's why the Amanda Seals Black Outside Again Comedy Tour is coming to a city near you. Go to amandaseals.com today and get your tickets so we can laugh and learn our way through this madness together. How black am I going to have to get? It's a good show. If you put a woman and a man together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all and just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Alright, so close your eyes. Imagine a round red ball. Okay. Can you see the round red ball? Sure. Imagine it bouncing down a hill in a field with a bunch of tiny white flowers. That's a lot harder. It's like not permanent. Like I can't I can't watch the whole movie of it. I can I can get little it's it's like the I just can't grab onto it. Like I can't hold that image in my head. It's very fleeting. I think it's probably fleeting for me as well. I don't think it looks like a solid image. It's like I can see flashes of it and then just know that it exists in between the bounces. Yeah, but that's not why would I do that instead of just watch a movie where it stays per it it exists. It's right there in front of my eyes. Anytime people uh would talk about how they prefer books to movies and they would say to me you know well like you know in my imagination it's 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 so much better and i can do and i thought i don't think i have a good imagination i can't do it i i only like books that have already been made into movies because then i can picture those actors in my head who are playing the the who got cast as those characters you right, know right. like i didn't uh know I don't know what Harry Potter looks like other than uh, Daniel Radcliffe, right? That's that's who Harry Potter is in in my head. And if, so, like when I read a book that uh, that hasn't been made into a movie yet, I don't know. I, they're just shapes. They're just silhouettes to me. I don't have anyone's face. I can't even if the like the author sits there and describes the face. Uh, it's it's still just not. It's not real for me until, but if I I can take I can remember images, and I've got a pretty good memory when it comes to images. Like I can I after I watch a movie, I can sit and play back that movie in my head. I can remember little details on the screen, but I can't create those for myself. 
Okay, I think that's the same. I, what we're talking about is somebody mentioned in the Facebook group that their significant other or something can't imagine things, can't imagine images. And I know that that's something that you've talked about before. I don't like reading books. It's, it's um, I just think I'm a visual person. I think I need to watch it. I was struggling listening to that podcast the other night telling a story because it's, I, it's easier to hold my attention if I've seen it. Mm-hmm. And reading a book that I've already seen the movie to is easier, but I think that's because it's easier for me to know what the ending is going to be. <laughs> I I get really stressed out in these things where I'm supposed to relax. So I got into during the divorce, I couldn't sleep ever and I had someone recommend some like YouTube sleep hypnosis channels for me and I tried listening to I I eventually got uh, good ones that really that really helped me and but in the beginning I found like these kind of trance uh, hypnosis things but anytime someone's like okay now close your eyes like what you were just doing yeah. but instead of a red ball they're like all right i want you to go to your safe place you're in a waterfall you're and then like now take a walk through a field and like i that that stresses me out because i can't picture a, i'm like i don't know what this field fucking looks like and they're like and they want you to to sit and think about all these little details and it would uh make me more anxious it was the opposite of feels relaxing. like pressure yeah do you think that's like a, a sensation that there's a right or wrong answer uh i mean maybe i don't know that's that doesn't sound exactly right to me it just i, I just couldn't do it like it was, i'm supposed to be i want to i'm supposed to be walking through this field of tranquility and uh, counting blades of grass or something uh, until I I go to sleep, but that doesn't come easily. It required a lot of work and exertion, and then I felt like if I concentrated on one thing, I would lose the other stuff, and I was never I was never fully there. I was never really in that trance. One method of dealing with pain is uh, to make it kind of abstract, where you go. You describe the pain. Like if this pain was a color, what color would it be? If this pain was a shape, what shape would it be? What movement is this pain making? Would that, would those be easy things for you to do in your mind to take like a physical pain that you're having and give it a f- physical attributes? Well, I have no idea what the fuck that is. So I'd say, <laughs> I'd say no. I don't think that would be easy. To describe the color of this pain, I have no. Uh, okay, your throat, your throat hurts right now. My throat hurts. Is it? Is it very obvious? No. I'm okay. Sorry. All right. <laughs> okay. Close your eyes. Oh, not this again. Okay. Okay. Focus on the pain in your throat. What color is it? If it was a color, what color would it be? Orange. If it was a shape, is that right? So it it is kind of a, a right or wrong answer thing. Well, it, what, well I don't know. So I, I did. I was the, the look on your face was like, oh no, he's way off. No, no it's actually just a method. It's a method of uh, isolating the pain. I don't. Know, I would have toothaches. Mm-hmm. I would go 
and describe like give it an identity and then let it like pay attention to that so it's a oh, blue it's a what? blue bouncing ball bouncing down the street and then you you make it this abstract thing which kind of just separates it from the pain that's weird i always just went to the dentist <laughs> That's crazy uh, that you could just... Uh, what a privileged uh, life get, you lead. <laughs> <laughs> Sobriety privilege. Um, <laughs> I also... Well, it helps in like labor type stuff. What really helps me when I have like an... When I had an ear infection or a UTI or something is to Google what the inside... Like what those body parts look like and <laughs> imagine it. Like imagine my inner ear... And where the pain is coming from and to fully understand the mechanism of that pain, which is like inner ear pain comes from the pressure of inflammation in that canal and the pressure because you have the equilibrium thing that most people have that I don't think I have. Anyway, that creates (laughs) pressure and pain. And by understanding that entire mechanism and then just kind of imagining it, it helped me get rid of the pain. I don't think I see faces in my imagination. Um, I just think that the, the the manifestation of imagination for different people is very well, I just, I, interesting. Yeah, and I realized that, that people were different from me when they would talk about uh, someone being cast in a movie. For me, it always comes back to movies. That's the, that's the medium that I like. Right. And, and when someone, a book reader, would complain about how something didn't look right or that's not how they imagined it or this was this person is nothing i'm always like oh i don't think i i never saw that person with a face you know until like until someone gave me a face to put with that character then i I could do it i think i'm on the same page with you the thing i have noticed is like jason would have co-workers that he would tell me stories about for, you know, months or years before I ever met them. And so in my head, I would have created a picture of this person. I feel like they're faceless. I feel like if I try to hold on to an image in my mind, it will fade because the things in your mind, in the ether, in the unseen, you can't hold on to them. If you try to use force, they they go away. It's how everything um, mm. on the other side is. So it's a vague, it's a vague, foggy thing, I guess, but they never look. You showed me the guy who paints conserv- awful conservative art. Oh, my God. And that guy looked John exactly Mc... how I pictured him. Oh, yeah. When you see uh, John McNaughton, is that his, yeah. is that his John McNaughton is a awful Provo Mormon artist. That uh, kind of gained popularity when Obama was in office and he was making these awful paintings of like Obama uh, holding the Constitution and, and, and then lighting it on fire <laughs> and then high-fiving the Grim Reaper. And it's a very... <laughs> It's very subtle artwork. It's it's uh, it's not for everyone. Not everyone gets it. Uh, it's but, very 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 subtle. Now he has and he has got a million of these things. And the one that he just released this last week, uh, Thanksgiving week, is look. When I first saw it, I thought that this was a, a liberal painting parodying Donald Trump. It looked so like the the expression on Trump's face is so gross. <laughs> That it just looks like they're making fun of him. And maybe this guy is secretly trolling everyone, but uh, no. It's a picture of of Donald Trump in 
Yeah, do you see? Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you, Brian and Brendan, pulling up oh, the, the Obama my photo. God. There's, uh, see, if you can, this is so cool that you got this. Uh, and then, like, but, like, he's the kind of artist who includes a legend, like a key on all of his paintings, so you can, to- so you can totally understand in case it's his too subtle for you. obvious. You're like, this is the Constitution. You're like, yeah, we see we the people written across... <laughs> The top of it, you dumbass. You're like, this is the president. But this guy looks exactly, this is a rare circumstance where this guy looks exactly how I pictured him looking when mm. you uh, told me what he does. But usually, like, when I have a, an image in my mind of what someone looks like, and then when I see him, I'm like, oh, that's not what I pictured them looking like, which is maybe what people are talking about from books. <laughs> that they have just, um, but I don't like books for that same reason, but I can still. Uh, but I, I don't know, like uh, when everyone, I just, I don't get too attached to uh, anything. Like when, when when Tom Cruise was cast as Jack Reacher and everyone was like, but Jack Reacher's supposed to be tall and blonde. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Uh, I think it's fine. Hold on. Can you, uh, when we're talking about John McNaughton, there's one. I have no idea what it's. There what are it'd be so called. many Obama molesting the Constitution. Constitution. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Anyway, but these these paintings would be sold at the BYU bookstore, and I was like, "Get me, get me out of here! <laughs> this is terrible." There's one that's got like uh, that's it's like I think Jesus is coming. It's like this uh, his take on like the second coming, and it's the, and the the sheep and the goats like on the right hand and the left hand, and on the right are all like the presidents that are the good ones, and on oh, the left God. are all the people that are bad right there and yeah this oh, fucking one Jesus. and see and look look at the people who are weeping so like he has a key for this for this painting that shows like that's that's the supreme court justice who uh who who did roe roe v wade and now he's hanging his head because jesus came back and is holding the american constitution <laughs> jesus came back <laughs> and the first thing he did was like so, can someone get me a copy of the united states of america's constitution <laughs> It's the first thing I would like to address. Maybe this is his region. Yeah. Just, <laughs> but, uh, oh, John McNaughton oh. is terrible. Anyway, the painting that he just did is Donald Trump as, as like an old school football player. And he's running. Fat ass Donald Trump, red oh, face, God. pouty lips, is running uh, for a touchdown. And like Obama and Senator Cory Booker and like Hillary Clinton tried to tackle him, but they couldn't. They like fell down and he's just like, <laughs> I made a touchdown. I made. Donald Trump couldn't walk. Couldn't walk two yards, (laughs) and this is a painting of him just like huffing and chuffing all all the way down to the end zone. That that one right there, oh my goodness, and this oh, he's got the number forty five on his on his chest. There's a lot of detailed symbolism in these paintings. So so thank God he wrote uh, nine paragraphs so that we could all understand his brilliance. Oh. Um, Why is there so much bad art in the world? (laughs) I. You want to talk about subpersonalities? I do. Okay, so Jess has been on this trip. Fuck, I have had strep throat, and so that and now I do. uh, That gave me five days alone in a room and I get real weird if I have too much time by myself. I go down these rabbit holes. Yep, that's the only time you get weird. Yep. I was already down this rabbit hole a little bit, but 
along the same vein of voices that we had been talking about. We talked about you have your higher self, you have the ego, which is like the version of yourself. You have the critical companion we've been talking about. And while we were talking about critical companions, I talked about this idea that I had um, like a defender, the Aubrey Plaza character that we talked about. From Legion. From Legion is what she reminds me of. And, And I got down to where this part of myself came from just kind of like at the end of childhood where I felt like the child version of me took too much shit off of people, sought love from people who didn't want to love her or whatever. And um, this hard exterior part of myself that made it difficult for people to get close to me, I nurtured that for a long time and that I felt like it had outgrown its purpose And during all these anxiety weekends and all of the episodes that we've done on Voices, we talked about me kind of expelling this part of myself and uh, the you're not real and everything else, right? Then something happened a couple months later where I had another situation where vulnerability and openness wasn't serving me, wasn't helping me, was making me... uh, too vulnerable in a situation where I needed to have kind of a tough exterior and I handled the situation well. And then I was walking down the street and I just noticed it felt like she was walking next to me, like in my own stride. Your critical companion. Yeah. The my, the evil character. Yeah. She wasn't like critical of me. It was critical of other people. And at the point where I realized it was something I had done to hurt you, something about work where I had been very mean to you. And this is when I kind of realized that there's this aspect of myself that if I feel like I am on the brink of getting rejected or hurt by somebody, I will swiftly attack them. I will, like, hit them where it hurts. I will hurt them and and push them away. And a critical companion, I think of, like, that self-hate kind of thing. And I don't have a ton of that. But this, I felt like this part of myself protected me my whole life. Didn't let anybody hurt me. Didn't let, like, this is how I left an abusive relationship was this aspect of myself that can just, like, quarantine all attachment and um, uh, and love and just be like, nope, we're getting out of this situation. Doesn't fuck your feelings. We're getting out of this situation. You don't treat me like that. We're leaving. And, but... She also prevents me from getting close to people that maybe would have not hurt me. Does that make sense? So, no. Uh, <laughs> Just go on. I want to get to the heart so, of this. So, uh, critical companion, I think, is how it manifests for other people. But that isn't the the Aubrey Plaza, has, like, critical of other people. So anyway, I'm walking down the street and I just notice that like my my stride is different, my head is held differently, and uh, I feel like her presence. And I thought here is a situation where that aspect of myself is still obviously alive and well, although I would have told you a week ago that I banished her, um, and has served me, has done well. And then I started thinking, what if there's just nine of us? Like, what if we have... What if we don't have a shifting of moods throughout the day? What if you have a bunch of personalities inside of you 
And this is something that I've noticed about people that I know, the kind of people that I get close to, is they have, yourself included, what they would probably think are different moods. Your voice changes. Your your body language changes with different moods. Your reaction to something, depending on who's at the helm, it will be different. Um, and we're all like that. There are a lot of people that are like robots. All right, what do you, all right, go back to nine. Why nine of us? I, I'm just, that's just a number that popped up in my head. Okay. A lot, though. I think, what if there are a lot of different uh, selves within ourselves? And what if there is a way to control that? What if there is a way, because I'm not always socially anxious. There's like an aspect of myself that is socially anxious. And then there are a million parts of me that are very good in social situations, but I can't control who shows up. I kind of have learned some tricks for controlling who shows up. But what if there is a way to uh, disable? So anyway, I Google it and find out that there is a thing called subpersonalities in psychology and then in some more new agey shit where you develop all these different parts different personalities within your whole personality and that they all have the primary objective of protecting you, but they all only have their one way of doing things that they don't necessarily know about each other. And I just skimmed a couple articles so <laughs> probably, but this, this feels true. This feels like what I'm trying to articulate that they don't all know about each other and that uh, they just have your best interest in heart but aren't cut out for every situation. So let's say in a situation where you need the soft, vulnerable part of yourself, if the harsh, uh, steel exterior one shows up, it's going to fuck that situation up. What if we could identify these parts of ourselves, disable the ones that don't serve a purpose in our current paradigm and we could find a way to toggle in between them when the situation is best for that one could you become like a superhuman that could uh crush every life circumstance like every situation if i knew if i knew how to uh toggle into the one that's very charismatic in front of people if I knew how to, do you know what I'm saying? Does this make any sense? Does this resonate at all? I don't know. I don't know. I, sure. I don't know. I think that that, that could happen. Uh, I don't know. I wanted you to keep going, though. Oh, okay. I thought you had done more research into it. I did. I read some, um, you know, some of the more like new age stuff says that you carry some of these from like different like past lives. And um, I don't fuck with the past life stuff too much just because I feel like if your past life was supposed to be relevant in this life, you would remember it. I obviously believe in past lives, but I just when stuff talks about past life stuff, I don't spend a lot of time. There are times when I feel super confident and it's uh, I'm like, oh, man, I feel great. I feel great. I feel hot. I feel sexy. Yeah. I feel like I can do anything. I have swagger and I'm charming. And I'm like, I just relish in those days when that happens. I'm like, yeah. whatever, whatever it is, this is a new coat that I got. I'm looking good in it. 
uh, or I worked out and I feel really got a lot of endorphins or something. Are you saying that that would be just a, a, a sub personality that's always there, that's always like hanging around in the background, but then just took over that day and is in charge that day? Yeah. Uh, like maybe we unconsciously trigger them to the helm. I do feel like, I feel like there is a, wherever we truly exist, wherever, I watched uh, KRS-One, which is like a, someone you probably don't remember at all. It's like a rapper from the 80s or 90s. What? It's not that uh, TV show about the radio station in Cincinnati? <laughs> um, well, that's from the 70s. So, so maybe you should, that's WKRP in Cincinnati. We okay. see if we can get booked on that next week. Um <laughs> He, I just watched some YouTube videos, and there was a bunch of stuff about him being being problematic in the comments, and I didn't uh, get have time to go into all that. So feel free to not email us about that. But uh, <laughs> without analyzing the person, the message that he talked about was he said he held up a rock star, and he said, "Think of the name of this inside of your head," or without saying it out loud, and you think rock star, right? Oh, and the he drink? says, "Yeah." Oh, okay. I thought it was like a picture of Just, Mick Jagger. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, don't tell anyone what it is. So he says, what is this? Do not answer verbally. And you think, Rockstar, right? And he's like, that's where you are. That, where you spoke that is where you actually are. And that's not happening in your brain. That's happening where you actually are, which has been a lot of what I've been thinking about. And a lot of stuff with like manifestation, stuff with. Um, what does he mean where you are? Where I, you exist? Where we really exist. I don't think right. we exist in these bodies. Okay, like, I don't think of, consciousness is in this body. One of my favorite things that I, I talked about, uh, I bring it up all the time, but I think the further I get away from college, the less I remember. But in sociology, there was a level of analysis, of sociological analysis called interpersonal sociology, which basically uh, just, like said... We, we exist inside, inside of ourselves, but no one can ever know that person. No, one's, no one will ever see or hear or know that person. And therefore, we, uh, we don't e- exist, exist until we interact with another person, hence interpersonal. And when you interact with another person, you are trying your best to show them what's on the inside. But those things never, ever Uh, or rarely ever line up exactly because not only do you have to translate out of your own head your own body you have to put it out into the world who you are and the way that you act the way that you dress the way that you look the way that you speak the words that you say the tone with which you say it but then another person has to interpret has to look at what you just presented them and then process it back into them through their lens through their lens and all that stuff and then they're and you're doing the same thing in reverse with them right right and so you only you only exist in the space between you and this other person and that's and that's the you that you present to society and uh i i that I thought that was fascinating when we first when we first talked about that. Yeah, and I was like, "What? What? Tell me more about this." I wanted because there was like institutional 
level of sociology and like all this other shit that was boring to me. I was like, I don't care. This interpersonal stuff sounds really, really fucking cool. So, uh, and then like, I, I know that I talked to you all the time about that monologue from true detective about the inside the locked room, Yeah, you know, that's where we, we really are. And everything that happens in society, every single interaction that we have is just us trying to explain what's happening inside of our locked room to someone else who is in a different locked room. Right. What if we are all in the same locked room? But so you're born. But we're not all in the same. We think we're all in the same. Is KRS-One saying that everyone, when we all say rock star in our heads, that we're occupying the same space somewhere? I do think that we are somewhat connected wherever is real. I feel like right now, so we have been conditioned our entire lives to believe that what you see, touch, and taste is what real is what is real. And uh, it's cool that we are moving away from religion, but also frustrating to me that we are we are doubling down on this idea that if it can't be proven by other people, then it that it doesn't exist. I feel like we are at a point where where we really are is coming into focus and the ability to manipulate our physical world exists there where we really are but we first have to allow that part of ourself to come into focus and it feels like a control panel it feels like where we really are has a control panel and you have to let that part of yourself come into focus and you have to understand it and then learn how to work the controls and then you would be able to do whatever you wanted and create whatever you wanted in this physical life but it's difficult when you've been conditioned your entire life that this is what is real this is who you are this is what is uh reality and i feel like that stuff is getting more fluid on the collective. This is, uh, yeah, I know you haven't seen Inside Out, uh, but uh, Inside Out's a Pixar kids movie where the, all the different emotions, they show all the different emotions inside of the kid's head and they're all at uh, a control panel and they all, they take turns uh, being, you know, in charge. There's sometimes fears in charge, sometimes disgust pushes a button sometimes anger sometimes do uh do sometimes so i've thought more and more about this and um this vulnerable sub personality because now i'm just going to say i have sub personalities so this vulnerable sub personality that i've really brought to the brought into the party in the last year um has fucked a bunch of shit up it uh, is not equipped at handling a bunch of my life experiences. And I swear now I can feel uh, that aspect of myself run up to the control panel. And then I can feel the part of myself, the Aubrey Plaza character that I stopped trying to crush and destroy. I can feel that part of myself just like put her arm out and just be like, no, not right now. And, um, just playing with these ideas in my head and trying to identify things, but it's definitely something that I've noticed in people that I'm close to, people that I spend a lot of time with, that when you are Aaron with the with the swagger, you walk different. Your what you do with your hands is different. 
your voice is different. Everything about you is different. And I guess that could be moods, right? That's what we would write that off of, off as is moods. But it it looks like different personalities. I don't mean like split personalities, like uh, an amnesia wall between one or the other. But what if we do have several of us living inside of ourselves? And because for me, a long time ago, I was trying to kill the ego. I was trying to kill the ego. I thought the ego was a problem. And I spent years trying to destroy my ego. And then I read something while Googling how to kill your ego that was like, stop trying to kill your ego, idiot. You need your ego. And I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. And I started treating my ego like a like an annoying roommate that serves a purpose, I guess. But uh, I just don't let it run the show. But I throw it a bone. Is it like it vacuums a lot? Yeah. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good balance. You know, you have... There's it that, makes you need kids that one, go to bed you at 4 p.m. <laughs> you, need, you need that one roommate that, yeah. uh, that does vacuum. And you're like... Eh. It's a good balance in the apartment. <laughs> um, so I stopped trying to destroy my ego and just allowed it to exist, but al- like I don't let it run the show. And I have to listen to it when it gets bruised or hurt. And But I don't but I know that that's my ego getting bruised or hurt, which gives me this kind of compartmentalized experience rather than <sighs> So when you are having like critical, critical companion thoughts, you experience that as something separate from you, your true self, right? Now I do. Now, I, now I'm much better at hearing it and, and recognizing this isn't me. This is, uh, you know, I don't hate myself. I've got this other thing in me that's super angry and hates me, but that's not me. Okay. I don't have to listen to it. Would you say that uh, you can think of experiences where the critical companion part of yourself has affected, like, would have been at the at the control panel in your interactions with other people, in your decision making? Um, probably. I mean, I think that I, I really disliked myself for most of my life. I think that it was probably at the forefront for a very long time. So okay. there were probably lots of interactions that, uh, were influenced either directly or indirectly by this self-hate thing. So, yeah. I think that a lot of people, but I don't want to give that guy any more. I don't think that he serves a valuable purpose. Right. Uh, I don't think that uh, he should ever be allowed at the controls. Sure, he certainly does uh, control me sometimes, but I'm much better at recognizing it and uh, wrestling the microphone back from him, you know? Yeah. Uh, and just saying, Aaron, you're having a bad day, man. You're having a bad day. Uh, you still have value, <laughs> whatever, like, mom, yeah. or something, you know? <laughs> you, you're, you're having a bad day. You're going you're gonna to let this pass. You're going to feel better in a little bit. This isn't the end of the world. But uh, you seem to be saying like the, the this this subpersonality does – You try. it sounded like you were saying like balance in all things is good. Like not – like that everyone in your control panel serves a purpose. They shouldn't let the vulnerable one uh, be in, con- uh, in control 
all the time and that you shouldn't let this uh, walled off defensive one control everything because if they had it their way, which is also what uh, Inside Out was about, you know, yeah. they like the, the main character, the main emotion is Amy Poehler is Joy, who has uh, who has to learn that she's not the only important emotion. You know, in her mind, she's like, we should make this kid happy all the time. We should always let this kid be happy. And then she has to learn that, like, OK, uh, it's important to be sad sometimes. Sadness should take the wheel uh, at times. Oh, interesting. We have to let her. What a good we, message. Yeah, we have to let. Although, watch watch Song of the Sea instead. Song <laughs> of the Sea is so much better than Inside Out. It tells that same message, but it's so much better, and it's just it, it's it's drawn so beautifully. Me and Ethan love watching that movie. But it's the same thing where it's like, don't just don't just push sadness away. Don't tell your kids to not be sad. Don't tell your kids to cheer up like some sad shit happens in life and it's good to cry about it. And you're not just going to get over everything right away. And it's good to express sadness and you don't have to be happy all of the time. Uh, That's that's I can get behind that. But uh, uh, that that's what it sounds like you're saying. Yeah. Um, so the two that are that are in focus for me right now. Well, so there's the part of me that I always describe as the Jessa who understands how everything works. There is a piece of me, I would say the dominant part of me, that is big picture, very logical, understands how everything works in the big picture. Very objective, can look at a situation even if it's emotionally charged and say, this is where this person's coming from, blah, blah, blah. So previous to a year ago, the two parts of myself that were in focus were the ego and this part of myself that understands how everything works. In my head, I picture that part of myself with a desk full of pictures and and documents in front of her. And when something would happen, I would have an immediate emotional response that would be short-lived And uh, I would sometimes outwardly emote depending on what the emotional response is. I have noticed that if something happens where I feel, if my feelings get hurt, there is a defense mechanism that comes out that you have to know me very well to be able to to tell that my feelings got hurt because there is just like a, a mask that goes on that I don't express that outwardly. But even if it was something that pissed me off or frustrated me, I would have a quick outburst to myself or whatever, and then the situation would immediately be handed off to this part of myself that is just like, okay, that it hurt, you know, it, it was irritating that that person did that, but here's where they're coming from, and this is why this happened, and this is why it's in your best interest, and everything is fine. And I would process things in my life very fast using these two aspects of myself. And in the last year, I feel like um, I feel like I've been so much more because of this open, vulnerable part of myself. I'm experiencing things on so many more levels. And I feel I feel like more things are coming into focus. I'm really trying to understand this mechanism of social anxiety because what it feels like is that there's just a room that I live in and that when I get into social situations, unless I have made conscious effort to make sure that someone stays at the control panel 
and handles the interactions. I just have some just awful at its job autopilot that would for years deal with all social interactions. So I, all I could do is just awkwardly laugh at every, it just was so strange when I would interact with people, I wouldn't engage. Like I, I would be hiding in the back of the room. Every aspect of myself would be hiding in the back of the room. And just this shitty shell of an autopilot is handling this interaction with this person and tricks that I learned to stay at the front is number one, consciously, like when I'm walking into a bar for a show or whatever, like pushing myself up to the front of uh, myself and making sure that I stay there. I have to engage very fast. A lot of times I feel like if I stop talking, I'm going to run away. A lot of times after shows when people come up to talk to us, I will have like held fans hostage and and then finally be like, you just have to walk away from me because if I stop talking, <laughs> the ceiling's going to fall. <laughs> Um, but I've thought a lot about that mechanism, why it feels like I'm inside of myself. I also just go through phases. Sometimes we just did like the Thanksgiving weekend or whatever. And there were several times where I was like 10 miles inside of myself and not in the moment. So that is, uh, is that a part of myself? Is the autopilot just some awful, uh, Hmm. discount bin subpersonality that I picked up at a at a Goodwill somewhere that I could trade in for one that doesn't fucking suck. Are you going to do more research on this? I am. I, I don't... Uh, I know it sounds like... Because we get people asking for book recommendations and stuff. I know it sounds like I read a ton of books. She does not. I do not. She doesn't. I want to paint a picture of how I understand things to be and then I will Google things, and then I will skim them. It feels good to find out that it's already a thing, but I don't want, like, the shit that I come up with, I want to come up with it because of my own understanding of my own experience, because I don't want it to be someone else's reality that I'm trying to um, relate to myself. Like, I, I want to, when I hear things and read things, I want them to validate experiences that I've had or open my mind to things I'm already thinking about, if that makes sense. So, can I, I had, change Can I change the subject a tiny bit? Yeah. Uh, when something I like about weed, I like it, I feel like it... Br- there's this other voice in my head that has so many good ideas and is so wise and understands the big picture of things and connects the dots in such uh, unique ways. And that voice doesn't, that voice gets a lot louder when I smoke weed. The, it's like it feels it feels like me it feels like a part of me but it doesn't like when i get high things click and make sense especially when i'm upset about something when i'm upset about something that's frustrating me i uh and then af- afterwards i get high and i'm like oh you know what like that doesn't matter and oh you know what i have a solution to that and oh you know what you know you you've you've known this whole time that 
that that doesn't mean what what you were freaking out about. And it connects things. And I have like I have these beautiful epiphanies when I get high, and I'm like, oh, that clicks. That makes sense. Oh my god, that's so. It's awesome. And I love that. I love that voice. And it's like it. It's like it, it's a voice that. It's not like I can't tap into that when uh, I'm sober. It's there, but it just like it. It's just like that voice is a lot. It's like that voice is the one that's in charge. It's like at the. It's at the helm right yeah. then. And I am still so new with drugs and stuff. And someone who's just a, a fan that came to one, our show in Salt Lake was just asking me questions about acid, and I'm giving them my best. Uh, uh, tips and advice, but I've only done it twice. You know, I don't yeah. know. I've still got a lot of uh, experimenting to do, but uh, in my limited experience with with drugs and stuff, I am starting to to learn a lot more about how I behave on different substances. Uh, whereas they all just seemed like fun party. They all just seemed fun in the beginning, and now I'm starting to realize, like, oh, okay alcohol is a depressant and now i get like i can see that i have uh like in the same terms as that voice what i like a- alcohol brings out another voice in me uh that makes that voice louder but that voice is an asshole like that <laughs> like that the voice that alcohol and it's not like there's there's right, right times to drink like i i, I drink a, but i uh, you know always in moderation i drink like a little bit uh i'll have like one drink before a set or something just to get loose it's a lubricant you know but uh if i'm really drunk uh i hate the stuff that 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 my brain thinks up my yeah. brain thinks up dumb ass stuff when i'm drunk <laughs> And I'm like, this guy is an idiot. No one give him the microphone anymore. This guy does does wants bad things. Does does bad things. You know, uh, I'm I'm working on new material right now about to, like about uh, cocaine and stuff and how cocky it because it makes me. Uh, cocaine is uh, it's not that. It's not super fun. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, like for a little bit, it's okay. Uh, but it's never something I'd want to do a lot. But the the feeling that you get is is kind of like you're impervious, like you're a superhero. Like I'm uh, I'm unstoppable. I'm unstoppable. I can do anything. And uh, those people are uh, kind of annoying to be around. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not it's not real though. Like there there's like a quiet calm confidence that you love in, in people, you know, those big dick energy people. Yeah. The, the, like that's cool. Uh coked up people are like uh really trying to show you how uh great they are and how they're the best at everything and it's just like, "Whoa, you you sound jagged. You sound uh, you sound so uh sexually frustrated." <laughs> That's what. That's what I. F- I feel my like my dick won't get hard. Yeah, God, goddamn. Uh, and that's so. That's something I've been thinking about a lot. I've been writing different jokes too. Like it was. It was really the cocaine joke uh, that started uh, this series of other of other bits that I've been writing because, um, like, it is. I don't know. That's just what I've been focusing on. Is like the different aspects of personality of my personality that drugs bring out. I I have not been thinking in terms of sub personalities or anything yet, uh, but that's something that's been on my mind lately. 
Uh, I don't think this was a subject change at all. I think um, what a good description of. Okay, so alcohol to me, I call it ego juice. It's taking your ego for a walk. I don't think there's anything spiritual about alcohol. Alcohol is a substance. Um, we're never going to get alcohol sponsors, I guess. But alcohol is a is a substance that I feel like. We really, we should be sponsored by TV shows. Like, I feel like Legion yeah. should pay us. Uh, Haunting of Hill House should pay us. Maniac should pay us. Those are, these are the sponsors. Gelatin. Uh, that... uh, we need gelatin. I recommend a lot of gelatin to people. And uh, Hilton. Absolutely. Hilton should, should sponsor be us. Sponsoring us. Uh, Tony Burger in Salt Lake City. <laughs> Uh, I really just want a free gym membership. So if like uh, I could stop paying title uh, boxing club and sugar house, uh, my monthly fee and instead just mention title boxing club and sugar house on the podcast, that would be cool. I can't wait to sell out you guys. I cannot wait to be inundating your ears with advertisements. You, uh, I cannot wait to be cashing checks. Uh, from I can from, wait. Yeah. <laughs> um, Well, while we're doing this, real quick, uh, check out the Stand Up Diet podcast. This is the podcast where the guy gave me uh, free dental implants, and they are doing a free dental giveaway. And so I want to make sure that yeah. our fans have the opportunity to get their fucked up teeth fixed. Get your you know, fucked our fans up have grill a bunch of fucked fixed. up. Or listen to J. Cole's uh, Crooked Smile and don't get your teeth fixed. Whatever, whatever makes you happy. Whatever. It is a great podcast, though, because it's, uh, it's a bunch of comedians on every week. They have new comedians mm-hmm. on. It's Amanda Arnold and Dr. Brady Smith. And um, I, we've recorded talking about it a couple of times. So people keep complimenting my teeth also. Uh, thank you. That's very nice. These are still the dentures. I got implants put in, which are just rods in my mouth that have to heal for six months, and then I will get the implants. But anyway. Yeah, you can't. You're like, I can't wait to sell out. You already got free dental work, Jessa. I want something for free. <laughs> I want something. And you're going for Tony Burger, huh? Tony, if I could just you know, like look at you, you, you got thousands of dollars uh, of dental work from Doctor Brady Smith, and I'm like, I would just like one hamburger, please. Could I have? Could I have one hamburger? <laughs> that you can I chew, have, motherfucker. The- <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so alcohol. I alcohol. Think, so for me, weed makes me self-conscious weed makes the voice that is so small in me ordinarily so loud granted i'm saying this is someone who uh, no this is interesting because because people this is like the number one uh complaint about marijuana is people like i don't like it because and it's almost always uh it makes me anxious it makes me self-conscious it makes me paranoid and i just i i mean i certainly do feel paranoia sometimes when i'm high i certainly do feel extra anxious sometimes it depends on the strain of weed depends on the kind of mood that I'm in, but for whatever reason, weed brings out a better version of me. I love I'm, the version of you that it brings out. I can very rarely say that. For the most part, it's different now, I guess, because everyone smokes so much weed. But for the most part, if people get high, like people smoke a lot of weed, I don't want to be around them because I don't like the version of them it brings out. Alcohol, by and large, I don't enjoy the version. Of, and your description of people on Coke is so different 
jagged. Jagged. Is Doesn't so that feel, dead they feel on. jagged? Energetically, I'm like, get the fuck away from me. I don't like the Jones thing that happens. I don't like the way that their physical bodies like lean towards the coke. You know what I mean? The, that it, that, that Jones. Yeah. I hate like I don't that was like gross to why I quit doing coke a long time ago. It was a gross thing in myself and I don't like to watch it in other people. It was um I forget what we would call it on meth, clucking. Like people who would like show how desperate they were for the meth. It's like, yeah, we're all desperate for it inside of ourselves, but like... Have some decorum. Yeah, your inability to hide that part of yourself is gross. But <clears throat> so what if... This is all... I'm still unpacking all this, but here here are my thoughts. What if there are different sub-personalities? What if there are parts of you that you are shrinking? I had seen an image when I Googled it of... Like the layers of your consciousness and then these these different shaped or these different sized like black ovals were represented subpersonalities. So what if you have seven people in the in your control room? And because you weren't aware of the control room, you've never had control over who came to the mic. And what if you have programmed inside of you uh, triggers that bring different subpersonalities forward? And what if those triggers are um, sounds, uh, movies, people, music, whatever, these different things that bring different, and it's not always in your best interest. What if, um, what if being high on weed for you and your makeup and your programming makes it easier for this best version of yourself to come forward, but it doesn't have that effect on me for whatever reason? Um, but universally alcohol i know very few people who alcohol improves i know i know i don't know anyone that is self-aware that says alcohol helps me where i do hear that a lot about weed mm. i've yeah, heard is... i've heard shitty excuses for alcoholism that are like alcohol helps me whatever but hmm. i do think it it helps me it, be more social like i have learned like if I'm go if I'm hanging out with people, it's easier uh, for me to have a good time and be happy and charming and stuff. If I'm uh, if I'm drinking a little bit of alcohol rather than smoking a little bit of weed, uh, that's uh, it's more of like maybe a, it helps. Hey, let's party thing. Uh, I don't, but yeah, weed's better if I'm like one on one with someone. But if this is a bunch of people, I feel like alcohol is is better uh, for that. For yeah, that, to have I guess that, that's true. That, that, I mean, I also feel anxious in social situations, and uh, I think I do a much better job of hiding it. Uh, that I just my, I think I have a better, uh, higher grade autopilot. Is what? Yeah. Like when you were describing your autopilot, I was like, oh, my autopilot rocks. Like I, I feel like I crush uh, when I'm on uh, autopilot, and uh, I think. Uh, Alcohol. Yeah, your your shallow interactions are very charismatic. I have noticed that. That that sounds like an insult disguised as a compliment. No, you know what I mean. <laughs> shallow interactions, like like small talk and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Like those are just like shallow interactions. Yeah, they don't mean anything. Where I need to be, uh, like, I don't, I don't know how to get, do that. Can we just get to how your dad hurt you? Yeah, uh, and then I'll be in my in my wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah we're like we can be in mm -hmm. a store talking to a stranger when we first walk into a venue, and you're talking to the manager. You're extremely charismatic. Where I have a very hard time. And, but like alcohol. It, highlights that 
autopilot. Yeah. Like for me anyway. There there I I recently just had an experience where I I spent a night with several friends and everything started out good. We went out drinking and uh then as the night progressed, everything just got worse and like the the great the 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 great friend that I had in the beginning of the night just kind of morphed into something so annoying. By the end of the night, I was like, oh, Jesus. Uh, also, maybe I'm just better at drugs than Weird. everyone else. Weird, I think I had that same experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? <laughs> well, on the same night. Anyway, go ahead. I think uh, I was just talking about how I'm better than everyone. Yeah, uh, I, I you are. Good. I handled. I think I handle drugs pretty well. I think I don't let them uh, take me over. I also think that I do less than everyone else too. But uh, it was really disappointing to see uh, this really great, uh, funny guy just become uh, grosser as the as the night wore on. And uh, I'm also not totally convinced that he wasn't doing coke. The more I talked about it afterwards and thought about how many times he went to the bathroom, I was like, maybe it's just coke. Yeah, yeah maybe that's it. But... That's a gross combination. I, you're very self-aware, no matter what is happening. So um, at Big Sky, when they kept sending shots up and got you drunk while you were on stage, mm-hmm. and you banished yourself to the patio because yeah. you were like, ah, oh, they don't need me in there. <laughs> That's right. So many people. Dude, they set up giant, giant shots to the stage. This is in Montana, and uh, I do material about alcohol, right? Uh, yeah. And then they're like, ah, I know what this guy needs. Fireball. He needs he needs to double fist some fireball. And then, like, I made I riffed on that and stuff. And so then more, en- more shots got sent to of the stage. Rumplements. Of rumplements. <laughs> Rumple mints. Which I have seen you drink out of the bottle. Oh, that was uh, also in Montana. (laughs) Dude, when in Rome. uh, And I got off, I got off stage and I was in a good mood, but I knew I needed to go be on the patio for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it was also because there's a show going on. Right. But you know? you know how many fucking comedians, even that don't have that self-awareness, mm. I had to Ugh. yell at a ton of them at the festival, which is like, there is a show. You just got off Dude, stage. It was, so, it was so hot when you when you yelled at people when I was on stage. It Aww. was so hot. And you were like, he, he kept people quiet when you were on stage. And I was like, <laughs> hell yeah. Hell Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I do think that is the benefit of being as uh, self-aware as I am. A lot of the times it's a, it's a burden. It's a cross to bear yeah. to, to be constantly thinking about yourself so much. Uh, and, uh, and like, oh, and I think alcohol, like a little bit of a little splash of it, uh, eliminates some of it. It absolutely does. Like I'm not, I'm not, uh, self-aware to the point that I'm ruining my evening by think by overanalyzing and worrying about everything that I'm doing. Uh, but because I have such high levels of self-awareness to start out with, that even when it diminishes a little bit, I still have uh, this a sense of self to be like, I should excuse myself. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> they do not need me in there right now. I should be out here. I don't benefit from alcohol or weed and like the version of me what do you benefit from anything psychedelics i think um psychedelics what do they do highlight just highlight that 
part of me that can I feel like I'm bringing things from the highest levels of consciousness down to earth where I can sort through them very easily, which is like not an impossible thing for me, but it's it's easier on psychedelics. It used to when I was younger because I've done a shit ton of psychedelics, which I think is probably not a surprise. But when I was younger, every single trip would be a lesson. And I learned so many things about myself when I was 16 years old and the trip where I was like walking out on Gleason with a sawed off shotgun. That trip, I realized <laughs> that you should not walk out on Gleason. Six, 15. And you were 15. I was 15. 15. And I was like, this is an abstract object. Like, why is this illegal? How do you make this one object illegal in it's just a thing? It's a physical thing. I would I'm going to take this out to Gleason. you explain that to a police, a police officer. officer. Yeah. And he would be like, how many <laughs> hits did you take? Um, I, in that, that night, oh, I think that was the time that we tripped for like 10 days or something crazy. That was the, that was the trip that led to the pregnancy of Nicole. But... <laughs> I just kept wanting to get back to the last thing I was doing. So we're in the basement and there's three of us and then another person comes over. And the whole time that the person is there, there is just this nagging thing in the back of me that is like, I want to get back to what to it just being three of us. And then the four of us would go outside and I would be like, I just want to get back to the four of us in the basement. And I realized after a few hours of this that I am constantly trying to get back to the last thing I was doing and not enjoying the moment I'm in until I'm no longer in it. And then on a macrocosmic scale, I saw that that same trait in my actual life and that I spent a lot of time mourning what I felt I had lost and not appreciating what I was currently in. Mm -hmm. And I got rid of that. I got rid of that because of that acid trip. I realized uh, I was having fun with four of us in the basement, but I wasted it. I squandered it and um, things like that. I've learned on I used to have this awful thing where I would ruin vacations by obsessing over when the vacation's going to end. Mm. And um, so it's like the second day and I'm, I'm counting how many days, how many nights are left and looking at how that exists in my, in my life. And I just, everything was a lesson. Every trip was a lesson. And I was able to take that lesson and break it down like this microcosmic lesson and then break it down on a macrocosmic scale in my life and have those things change in my life. And I, I like psychedelics. For I'm that. interested in using psychedelics for that. I've, I've, uh, the person who sold me on psychedelics, everyone had, had always just scared me away from them until someone told me about how she uses them therapeutically yeah. and like how like uh, quarterly she schedules a day to uh, drop acid and meditate. And she talked about like, how it elevated her thinking and how it, it like was a, a, a quarterly reset for her and that it helped her in her in her job and in her personal life and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. So far, I think I've only done acid, like I said, twice. And I've done mushrooms once and they were all just like for fun. It was just with people just to just to have fun, to have that experience, you know. Uh, I am interested in trying it that, uh, that way yeah. more. I... When you say macrocosmically, uh, and you when you uh, that 
for me that I have those experiences uh, while on weed all the time. Yeah. When the, uh, like when I suddenly see all these choices and behaviors and past events all line up and I see this pattern and I cut through the middle of it and I find this connecting line and it's like you do this because of that. Yeah. Or, uh, and, like, and there's some lesson there. And it here's a weird comparison. This going back to my Mormon days, going back to spirituality, going back to uh, when I would have spiritual experiences uh, through prayer and stuff. I had met, I was home from my mission. I had met Tabitha uh, and uh, I was dating her and I was in love with her. And I prayed to know if I should marry her you know and i said i said a prayer and i said i think i i want to marry her i want to marry her uh what sayest thou lord right um and then i walked downstairs this is on a sunday morning i walked downstairs my mom has byu tv on the the kitchen television set and it's like playing some some devotional from some BYU speech and the guy is talking about how to know who you should marry. Wow. That's on the TV when I get down there. There's a real uh, serendipitous coincidence where I was like, whoo-hoo, okay, that's weird. I got goosebumps. But then later in church, I went to church and it was in sacrament meeting and I think it was probably during during the sacrament it's being passed. Everyone's just quiet. You have your head bowed, your hands uh, folded and you just time for reflection which is something great that i loved about religion i loved uh being a missionary and having quiet because you're not allowed to have tv or or radio or anything as a missionary i spent two years like not like uh a monk who takes a vow of silence and doesn't speak but there i had more time especially in like in this day and age i had never experienced so much quiet as i did as a missionary and it was just time for me to think uh, and and process stuff i loved it and so i'm sitting there in sacrament meeting and i'm still pondering the question in my head about should i marry this girl or not and it was like i had this moment this window and it 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 never any time I tried to explain it, it never really felt like I I translated the weight of that moment well enough. But it was like phew, a window opened up and I saw everything. I saw of my life anyway. I'm not like but I saw all these events in my life lined up. Boom, 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 boom. Uh and I could see this line through them. And I felt like God told me, uh, I've brought you here. I've uh, all of these things I did to bring you right here. Uh, of course, I want you to marry her. Like, can't you see everything that has led you here? And I could see my mission. I could see all the stuff before my mission. I could see all these choices uh, and all these little tiny details that all popped into my head. And it was it was beautiful. It was macrocosmic. It was like, yeah. and it was just all in an instant. And I and she's sitting next to me, and I just and I felt it, and I was like, oh, this feels so true. This feels so right. I feel I feel really calm and and stuff. And that, mom and dad, is what weed is like. That's, <laughs> I feel like I have the, I have those experiences all the time, where something lines up, and I'm like, and I see it for what it really is, and I suddenly have this greater understanding of of what my life is supposed to be like. And uh, I, I I read this thing on on the ex Mormon subreddit the other day. 
that really summed up, I think I screenshot it and sent it to you. It summed up how I feel. Um, there, it was a, a woman who like said, you know, I let go of the church and it was really hard and really painful because like, you know, I believed in God and I didn't want to let go of all that stuff. And she said, I climbed a, I climbed this mountain today and it's like a picture of her on top of the mountain. And she was like, and I felt that spirit that still small voice that I used to feel in prayer and in contemplation, like that, that what are you, but she was like, but today I recognized it as me, as myself, that I am that spirit. I am God. I, I'm, I'm putting a lot of words into her mouth. Her, right. her post was, was short and succinct and made a lot of sense and was beautiful in its brevity. And I'm just like, I don't really, I didn't memorize it. Okay. But basically that's the gist of it. That, uh, that, those spiritual experiences that I miss so much that I was so scared of, of losing uh, didn't go away because there's no God. It's like they're just they're still there. It's just like now uh, you're God. You're God. You're God. You're God. That the, the Mormon God doesn't exist, but you do. Aaron God does. Aaron God is great. The first, this is like what we talked about the first time that first night at Big Sky uh, uh, at uh, at Denny's. Yeah. While I, <laughs> while I ate hash browns with my fingers. Like, but what you uh, fail to realize is that I am God. You yeah. know? <laughs> and the waiter's like, uh, yeah, but are you just uh, are you ready to pay? <laughs> God is ready. Quick announcement: In uh, January, we will be in L.A at the Irvine Improv. <gasps> yeah. On the 10th, on the 11th. January 10th, we're going to be the Irvine Improv. Uh, the 11th, we are going to be outside of Fiend. We're going to be in Glendale, Glendale Arizona. Arizona. I don't have the venue yet, but mark that on your calendar. Uh, those tickets will be available soon. And we're working on a Vegas show that uh, same weekend. Mm-hmm. Also, December 23rd uh, in Frederick, Maryland. We're going to be uh, performing, right? Yep. Yeah? I think okay. um, those are the... Because I don't know when this will come out. So yeah. Those are, those are what's coming up. Yeah. I love Frederick. I, I love do that. too. Such a fun room. It's one of the first places that we perform together. It is. Yeah. Uh, it's the night before Christmas Eve, so come out anyway. <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll see you guys next week on Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all and just so read our friends, listen to them talking to Mike. <laughs>